Hi, and welcome to K-Pod, the podcast about Korean Americans in arts and culture from Korean American Story. The episode you're about to hear is our conversation with fashion stylist Jean Yang and jeweler Ben Yang, aka Ben Baller. Jean and Ben are sister and brother, and they're the first sibling pair we've had on the podcast. Jean is a fashion stylist known for dressing Hollywood's A-list actors. Anytime you see Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr., Christian Bale, or Jason Momoa on a red carpet, it's a good bet that Jean dressed them for the occasion. You may also know her name from the fashion line Holmes and Yang, which she designed with actress Katie Holmes. Ben is Jean's younger brother. He first made his name in the music industry working with Dr. Dre, Snoop, and Master P. For the past decade, he's made his reputation as the jeweler to the stars. He's the man who makes grills and chains for Drake, Kanye, Cootie, and Justin Bieber. He's also known as a legendary sneaker collector, cannabis entrepreneur, and podcaster whose podcast is Behind the Baller. Catherine and I were super excited to talk to both Jean and Ben, because while they share some obvious similarities, as you'll see, they're each very much their own person. For example, Jean went to boarding school at Exeter, and Ben got kicked out of six schools and spent time in jail. They were both so forthcoming in our conversation, and we hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. I feel like we have so many um, ways we could go with this conversation, but we really wanted to start out with an introduction to who you guys are. I think a lot of people will know, but we would love it if you two would introduce each other. Okay. Ben has always been somebody who has known what was going to be cool before it was cool, whether it was sneakers. I've always been shocked by how, oh, um, being a DJ, that's going to be big. Oh, being, you know, uh, into s- being a sneaker pimp before that even was a term. Oh, wait, being a jeweler and creating grills, that is going to be big. He- I-, I always kind of know what was, what's um, been important. And tell us a little bit more about one of his biggest claims to fame, his jewelry business. So if you're ever going to see a grill or a medallion um, on anybody of note, my little brother was the one who probably made it. So if you see Justin Bieber, uh, Snoop, I don't even, I mean, I can't even keep up because it's in every K-pop star. These are, you know, just some of the few people. I mean, there's stories written about the chains that Ben has made. I mean, one of the biggest compliments ever was when either Shaq or it was Denzel Washington called me, oh, uh, do you go by the name Jean Baller? And I was like, no, 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 Baller is not really our last name. He's just somebody who's always been that guy. Let me add, even though Gene is speaking about it, honestly, look at man, uh, I, I'm proud of my accolades and, I, and I've had a, a crazy life. I, I, I'm a father and a husband before I'm anything else in life. And then we began, and yes, I'm a jeweler by trade, but I'm an entrepreneur, you know? So that's where I want to end that at as far as she said, what she said was not wrong. It's just, it, I felt like that was a proper way. People do know me from the chains. I do have a brand. Um, I'm in the cannabis space. And um, let's talk about Gene. All right. Let's hear about Gene. Gene is the middle child of three kids. I feel like Gene, not even by default. No, by default. She had the harder life. Um, I chose to have the harder life. Do you know what I mean? I chose to do the wrong things on purpose. Gene did all the right things. And I feel like, you know, um, in a way, you know, I, 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 I experienced Gene taking after my mom. Um, I, 
early on, I favored my brother. I idolized him. Obviously he's a boy, you know, I'm, I, you know, we did guy stuff. Um, it wasn't until later, probably Jean was a paralegal. She had just finished at Scripps, um, college, one of, one of the Claremont colleges. And, um, I, uh, I started to realize, I was like, you know, I mean, what's Jean going to do, man? Is she going to figure it out? And then my sister started to flourish. She worked at a really cool art magazine called Detour. You know, she, she, she helped me as much as she could, but she was also trying to figure it out. I never understood that because me and my sister are, uh, five years apart in age. And so, um, finally my sister became the editor and then Jean decided to leave the magazine. And so she became a stylist. My sister always had this great style. She became the most famous men's stylist in Hollywood. Her resume is literally the most, I think my, sometimes when I can't catch my ego and I decide to brag, I think about my resume and I, I laugh at it. Her list is a million times harder to acquire and, and to, to, to get to that level. So People barely knew my government last name until like maybe like six, seven years ago. They didn't know for a very long time, but it wasn't exactly. until That's recently. That's why they used to call me Jean Baller. <laughs> <laughs> to finish this off and come full circle, I worked with Adam Sandler for a few months. He shadowed me for the role of Uncut Gems as a jeweler. And as he shadowed me, he was already my sister's client and my sister was dressing him through that entire time. I never mentioned his name. I never mentioned her name. I never mentioned. And I thought that when people say, oh man, all you do is boast and brag and blah, blah. And I'd be like, motherfucker, it's not, it's not bragging if you're telling the truth and, and tell you the truth. I really understood how much I had to protect my brand and me as a person who I was. And I think that impressed Adam even 10 times more when they had a conversation, Gene and Adam had a conversation that I was <laughs> her brother and no, it was actually point, Ben. It actually was Adam was having doing a concert. Paul Thomas Anderson was shooting it, and Justin Bieber had come to visit. And Justin looked at me and was like, "Wait, do I know you?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, we did the Vanity Fair cover." And then he said, "No, no, no, I know you." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm Ben's sister." And Adam looks at me and says, "Oh my God, oh my God, are you wait?" <laughs> And then he realizes, he's like, you know, I'm shadowing him. And I said, what do you mean? He was like, you know, for the role. And Adam was shooting a show for Netflix at the same time that he was doing his, you know, he was about to shoot or he was in the middle of shooting Uncut Gems or was about to leave. And it was this sort of realization that, wait a minute, I'm working with both of you? I can't yeah, believe very it. Weird. You two are really successful in uh, different fields and you two have seem to have a very different personal style or way of um, how you've like moved about in this world. Um, Jean, you went to boarding school and uh, Ben, uh, you... Have I was in jail when she went to boarding school. <laughs> I got arrested. <laughs> That's not a joke. I'm being so serious. So that was a really different way of living your life. So I yeah. wondered, you know... Um, for that to have happened in one family, um, I, we really wanted to ask what that was like growing up. And Jean, did you worry about your brother and uh, what was going to happen? Because your whole family must have been really worried about the, the, no, the baby. No, you the know, family. Well, I, I got in trouble as well. Um, I, I'd like to say that, like, you know, having an older brother who went to Andover and then Berkeley, who was, you know, a Mensa and, you know, literally did got perfect scores on his SATs. I was definitely not that person, nor was Ben. I mean, we were both definitely um, somewhat worried. And I'd like to think that we come from, 
really hardworking stock. I mean, that's the thing. Both Ben and I, I have to say, we both know how to hustle. And ultimately, that is the reason why we are where we're at. Because if there's, you know, somebody requesting a 12-hour day of you, both Ben and I will do probably 20 hours. That's just the way we are. And and, and let me start this real quick before, because people listening to this right now, it could be a 16-year-old Korean fan of mine, or it could be a 23, or even a 45, and it could be very judgmental. We didn't come from a wealthy family. I, 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 want, I want that to be said. Uh, my mom, you know, worked very hard, but the education... In, you know, in, 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 in our generation of Korean families, um, that was a, a crucial thing. So my mom was willing to sacrifice our lives for them to go to. The only reason I didn't go to boarding school was because one, I wasn't book smart or test smart enough. And two, I was getting in, and I was getting in trouble and I was getting kicked out. And I was also running away from from home. So it's totally different. But what I'm getting at is I wanted to stop real quick and understand people say, wait a second, Andover. Hold on. What the fuck? This is this is crazy. No, we didn't come from. That it, it was, I you know, but I, I want people to understand that because then they think like, hey man, that, you know, it, they can get it misconstrued of my upbringing. And that was not it whatsoever at all. Can you, know, you tell so, us um, about your family's immigration story? So my father was sponsored by a family to come here to go to the Claremont colleges and then eventually to Claremont graduate school to get his PhD. My mother who um, was in Korea with my older brother. She literally came with $20 and needed to put my father through school and then basically took three jobs. She worked cleaning houses, also learned, she started driving a truck because that was the only thing she could do without having to speak English and then started working in a chicken canning factory. And one of the things that happened to her, however, was that when she was in the chicken canning factory, she was doing triple the amount of work as everybody else. And one of the leaders at the canning factory said, you better slow your, yourself down or else, you know, you're, there's going to be some trouble because basically you're making us all look bad. So when that happened, my mother realized, okay, I can't work in a factory setting. I've got to become, you know, an entre entrepreneur. And I don't know if I can, I, it's something where, I cannot work on my own. I need to go and raise money. And so basically after working the equivalent of 20 hour days, she got pregnant with me. It was crazy because I know there's stories and I kind of, you know, faintly remember being, you know, left in my dad's station wagon with my older brother who was four at the time taking care of me in the car while he was getting his PhD and my mother was working these three jobs. They lived in a converted garage and from what I remember, my mother told me that they didn't have a baby bed. She literally was freaking out, thinking, I can't believe I'm pregnant. And they pulled out a uh, drawer from one of their cabinets. And that's where I slept with some towels. And they ended up getting clothing that was donated to them from the church that she cleaned. What did your father get his PhD in? In Asian studies. With that PhD, he then started teaching at um, University of Arizona. And my mother literally scraped together all the money she possibly could and was able to buy a few sewing machines. And she started a sewing factory. And when I say that she had, I mean, she literally had a cot in the sewing factory and worked about 18 hours a day, probably from the minute she came to the United States until just about seven years ago and and just really was the person who taught both Ben and I 
an intense work ethic. Meanwhile, my father was teaching. He, he taught at quite a few different colleges, but he was at UCLA for the longest period. The interesting, very specifically Korean part of, of kind of what happened that I think was a huge turning point for both my brother and I was that when we were about, I was 12 and Ben was about six, uh, my mother decided to take her first vacation, which we didn't even realize was a vacation. We used to belong to a very large church. And I just remember being somewhat ostracized at one point, a little bit before this vacation. And um, we realized that my father, along with being a professor, was one of the first people to go to North Korea. In fact, I think he was the first man to ever go to North Korea from the South that had been in the South or had been from a non-communist country. And at the time, there was a very strong, there was such opposition to doing something like that. But he really just wanted to find his mother and sisters because he was a young boy during the war and had been separated from them. And then um, when we were 12, I remember being on this vacation and thinking, what is going on? We were having a great time in Denmark. And then in the middle of the night, we were driven through the East, the well, through the Berlin Wall. And we were told, don't speak any English. Don't talk, period. Uh, we found <laughs> your mother's twin that she was separated at birth from because during the Korean War, uh, grandma could only grab your uncle and your mother and left her twin sister with her mother. Identical twin. Identical twin. And um, you're going to meet her and your grandmother in the East Berlin, uh, in, in East Berlin, in the North Korean consulate. And I think it was in as much as it was like a wonderful, I mean, we basically all cried for four days and um, then, then went, you know, we went through the rest of Europe basically shell-shocked to know that, oh my gosh, my mother Jean, has a twin real, real sister. Quick, I'm, I'm so sorry, Jean. Let, let me just, let me just tell you why this is such a weird, iconic time and, and your timeline's a little off and I have to just, and it, it's important to me. This was 1981. So I was eight years old. I don't know how old you were there. So I, I, was, I was eight. And the crazy part about this is we were in London on the day of the Royal wedding, Prince Charles and, and, and uh, Princess Diana. It was, is, you're right. It was a Royal wedding. Uh, and that, that I remember, and we didn't come from a rich family again. This was something where my mom had worked so hard, never knew she had identical twin sister. I, I didn't know anything, didn't know anything about North Korea, didn't know shit about anything. So sorry, Jean, go ahead, go on. Go on. No, so th it was a really huge um, kind of moment in our lives that this understanding of the Korean War to be able to face it and think, this is why we've never seen my father's grandmother. And then, oh my God. My mother, that moment really changed her because I think she could have, she realized that was just a matter of chance that there was a war going on. My grandmother could have easily picked up her sister. And um, shortly thereafter, my parents got divorced because I think my mom felt like I need to go and live my life because it, who knows, you know? I know for myself, I was in boarding school, but since my parents were divorcing, my parents said, we'd like you to come back and, and be in the States and and take care of Ben because my father was teaching and taking care of Ben is like, <laughs> that's like hurting cats. It was just never going to happen. So um, we moved into Koreatown. I mean, that's a, a crazy story about your parents and finding out all this information about them. Um, how did, was she working on this? Clearly in the background, 
um, reuniting with her sister. Is that how? My father was the one. He was. was. He did. He did a writing campaign to North Korea, Mm -hmm. who eventually relented and let him in because in Korea, obviously, being a professor is a very high-ranking. You know, especially somebody who was being who was teaching in American universities, they gave him a great deal of credit and thought, let's go ahead and and, you know, this was when the first when Kim Il-sung was still in power. This is how many years ago. So they wanted to come have him come in and they thought, well, look, you know what, this would be a sort of a little sort of olive branch. And my father then became, you know, very obsessed with trying to find my mother's mother's sister. Mm. And um, then basically we, uh, he went, he's gone back or he had gone back every year for many years trying to work on reunification. And we never kind of knew what was going on, but that was his, you know, his He had a nonprofit organization called One Korea Movement. Yes, exactly. And he's, he he worked on it his whole life. And, you know, he's, he's sad that it hasn't happened yet. Let me, let me say this. Look, when I talk about like, let's say, for instance, whether it be meeting Barack Obama or, or working with Michael Jackson on jewelry or whatever it may be, some people are impressed by that. People that I've met with doctorates and, and just just far beyond the crazy education, when they hear that I went to the only North Korean embassy on Earth and it was in East Berlin, they're just mind blown. And especially when I, when I break it down, they know there's no way to lie about it. It's just the truth. And I didn't, I, I wasn't supposed to talk about it for a very long time. In fact, I don't think until I was 25, did I know what was really going on. I knew that people were talking shit to like, oh, you communists and blah, blah, whatever. And then I started to understand when a lot of other normal Korean people who were, a lot of people were, you know, it was like, it was, it was, it was split. Some of the Korean families were hating on us. Other Korean families reaching out to my father saying, hey man, my sister and my brother and my cousins are also stuck in North Korea. Could you, could you locate them? And my dad was kind of providing that service, you know. But when I understood the magnitude was a friend of mine had studied Asian history. He ended up being my roommate for a little bit. We had a business together. He had a similar situation to where he had family as well. We were really close in age. He had family as well that were stuck in North Korea, but he couldn't even reach them. And I showed him a picture of my dad on stage. And on the left of him is... Kim Jong-il and the, and the right of him is Kim, Kim Il-sung. And my boy goes, I, I, I mean, this is a fucking actual, you know, picture in your hand, a four by six that, you know, they didn't have Photoshop like that, you know, like it wasn't like, you know, this was in my hand. He's like, this is probably the most unfucking believable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And, uh, I just, I just understood. Like, I was like, dad, you know, it's crazy. He had a bigger purpose, but I don't want to bash my, my dad, but, but, but yeah, it was just, it was crazy. Well, I know you don't want to bash your dad, but from hearing previous interviews with you, I know that it was very difficult, this divorce, right? And I'm curious if you could talk about that a little bit more, because it sounds like both of you grew up with such a strong sense of being Korean, obviously, because he studied Asian, Asian history, Asian culture, and your, this whole experience reconnecting with family. So the Koreanness was very big in your life. However, um, as most Koreans know, divorce is rather taboo. It's it's not a casual thing to go into. How how would you say that affected your lives? I, I don't. I should tell you the truth. I have no idea how my sister felt about it. I know my brother felt about it. With me, the crazy thing about this interview now is that in the last month, in the last two months, in the quarantine, in the pandemic, I have realized how much that period of time right there fucked my life up to this day. 
and that my wife really thinks like, damn, man, you sh- you should really go see somebody. And, and, and um, I think a lot of your aggression and, and everything else. I'm like, look, man, part of that is being, being a Korean man. Nobody has a worse temper than a Korean man. There's no, I don't care how crazy a Chinese. Here, here. Or, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Korean, Korean, Korean men have the worst tempers. I think I inherited that from my father and my mom's rage and whatever. But I think that that time, especially me being 12, when they got divorced, me having straight A's in school to me going to literally straight F's traveling to a different area, hearing kids talk shit and like, Oh man, your life is this, this, and this. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. It, 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 um, you know, when you see like something like the Wolf of wall street and he's like, I deal with my problems by becoming rich shit. <laughs> I, I, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, I mean, what, what, what is wealth, right? It's, it's, it's a, but I mean, in, in, in the, in the, in the textbook definition, you know, you, 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 you acquire a certain amount of, of, of a net worth or whatever, or, or money. There's nothing I can't buy. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I have the home, car, whatever it is that didn't do anything for me. Do you know, I, I took, I'm almost 50 years old. It took a while for that to hit home, especially because I live in a materialistic, you know, superficial Hollywood world. It was, it was, man, I wish Korean, you know, and, and this is funny because when I do speak to my Korean friends that are over 40, you know, I'll think about it like, man, there's no way you could even spank your kid today, man, you go to jail. And it's like, you know, they're going full blown with the, you know, with the, with the spanking and the, and the, and the, the, the discipline and everything and the force feeding of, of, you know, we had hangukakyo every single, every Sunday. And just like, it was just crazy, you know? So like, I think that the divorce was just, man, it was like, wow, man. Cause you know, I really think about it now, me being a father and the way I'm a father now is totally opposite from how, because I don't want that to happen. I like to say me and my wife have a pretty good, you know, we have, we have, we have a really good marriage and uh, she's changed me a lot. She's very, very close to her family and everything else. But, um, you know, I, I, I miss having dinner in our home where we all ate together. That was a big thing. So when my brother left for school and my sister left, it was kind of like it was a weird. I was a latchkey kid. Um, when the divorce happened, it just, man, it just messed me up. It just, that's where I ran to the streets. Were you and, the only one left at home when the divorce happened? Yeah. yeah. Jean, how did you know, it affect you? It was very interesting. My mother kind of foreshadowed what was going to happen because when I left for boarding school, she told me, whatever you do, do not let a man lead your life. And I thought that was really interesting because to a certain extent, as much as my mother was the most powerful woman that I knew because she literally managed a factory of 70 people or almost a hundred people, she at home was somewhat, um, not subservient, I don't want to say, but she was always very, you know, overly respectful of my father. But when she divorced, um, you know, she spent about a year now for two years on her own and then found actually real serious love. I mean, she ended up remarrying and finding an amazing man who, I'm going to start crying thinking about it because he's passed, but he was also very much a father to me. And I I don't know if that's the case with Ben, but he was somebody who taught me so much about how you could actually marry and find somebody who's your best friend, who basically was what happened to my mother. I think um, in many ways, I the divorce affected me in the sense that I remember just thinking no matter what, I want to marry somebody who will love me and care for me. And once again, not to distract from my relationship with my father, but um, just recently, my daughters were um, on TikTok 
and they started playing me um, some pretty, uh, to them, very harsh uh, TikToks of a young Korean girl who was two young Korean girls who were in their rooms with the parents screaming in the background and the parents saying, you should go commit suicide. You know, you're terrible. If you don't get into Harvard, you might as well, like, I'm sorry, but uh, Princeton's not going to do. You need to get into Harvard or you should go kill yourself over and over again. I thought, you know, I know you guys think that's harsh, but that's pretty much every day of my life. Yeah, that was that's just, every that's day of our lives, you know? And I get it. Like I, I, my father had a whole thing with me where he said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I was 12 years old when my I ran away, you know, because I was I, we saw leaflets being from the sky that said everything is going to be bombed in the north and I got separated and I don't I didn't have parents. So I didn't know how to parent you. My my um most important thing in life was uh trying to get Korea uni- reunited and so I wasn't a really good dad. I get it. Like and, and I That's told incredibly self-aware for him to even say that, though, right? Yeah, look, I mean, it was the one moment in his life where he felt that. And I think that both, I'm going to be honest with you, my, at least I know that we're somewhat estranged from our father because that harshness and hearing the girl, my daughter say, can you believe this? Can you believe these girls are doing a GoFundMe because they want to move out of their house because this is their parents? And I think, I know that's terrible, but that's the Korean way. Like, if you know what, uh, you know, and... In a Korean, an F is um, an A minus is an F in in a Korean family, and and I I was like that is why you see I was just telling you guys in the beginning. I mean every creative director, every major um, kind of in, it's it's interesting and specifically into like the cultural element. I see so many besides the Korean doctors and Korean lawyers. I see so many Koreans going into pop culture and. That is because it's years and years of being told you're not good enough by your parents and maybe by other people. You are not cool enough. And I think maybe that's why we've all <laughs> strove to to different, you know, you know, you either get crushed by uh, criticism or you rise above it. Right. Well, Ben, you clearly rebelled um, um, after the divorce and you said you went from straight A's to F's. So um I mean, it almost feels like um, that was a way of breaking out of that path. And it's it's kind of served you well, even though it must have been hard. I mean, it's 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 crazy. You know, I think about where I've been in my life and um, I grew up amongst predominantly Asians as a little kid. And then when we went to Koreatown, I was only around blacks and, and Latinos. Um, with that said, I didn't share the same interests that a lot of Asian people did, you know, with, with music and things like that. And uh, I got into trouble. I got into gangs and that culture and everything else. My first time to Korea was late 2012. When I had went there, I had connected with every single one of the, 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 I connected to the top, the apex of the K-pop, hip-hop world. And I saw it from every aspect and people were coming to my hotels. People were asking these enormous K-pop stars from Girls' Generation and from anything else like, hey, can we come with you and me go meet Ben Hyung? And can we go meet, can we come here, come here, come here? And I'm in Hongdae, I'm actually, I'm sorry, I'm in Itaewon. And these people were coming to the lobby hotel to meet me. And it was just funny. And then I was like, do me a favor, man. Take me to the hood. Take me to where the gangsters are. Take me to where, where the real, take me to where all the fucked up shit is. I want to see all prostitution. <laughs> uh, I want to see all the, but I, I want to see the real gangsters. I want to see, I want to meet them all. 
I go to the hood, I go check out everything else. They have like the little flea markets and everything else. They have the, you know, the old Ajma that's saying, you know, selling pindeto on the, on the street. And, and I'm just, I'm just like, man, this is, this is, I love this shit. So, you know, seeing that and embracing it. And I see these kids and I see some of these kids fucking up, see some of these kids getting in trouble. And I feel like I was in that first real generation of those kids getting in trouble in America. Of course, there's generations of gangsters in Pusan, right? And that, that had, you know, f- come from even like uh, during the Yakuza days and everything. But I'm talking about the Western urban hip hop element of like, you know, the way we dress and the way we talk and the way we do things. And, and you know, they adopted that very heavily. So, you know, I see things and they're asking me questions and, and, you know, whatever. And then I go meet all these people and I kind of laugh and, and, and I'm like, man, this is so fucking crazy, bro. Like I, I did all this shit and now this is like, it's gone over here to Korea and I know it wasn't here before. And, and they, you know, some of these guys even had asked, you know, they, they had mentioned like, Hey man, we appreciate everything you've done for hip hop. And you know, you know, that you represented us and everything. And when I was in hip hop, I never even even thought about Koreans. No offense to anything. It just, it was nothing. It was mentioning that would only damage my credibility in the hip hop game, you know, especially being an A&R and working with, you know, Jay-Z on his first album and working with Dr. Dre and working with Tupac and people like that. But, um, you know, just, just, I, I, I had a different life. And, you know, when you see these people over there and, and then, um, you know, for my mom to not really accept me until, I had became successful in, in, in a non-traditional way of what, not, not a doctor, not a lawyer, not a, you know, something like that, or on Wall Street or whatever it may be. When she saw that, it, it, it changed my, my, my relationship with my mother because I always respected her so much. She was my favorite. She was, you know, to say, I'm sorry, you know, but me and my mom, she was my, she was, she was everything to me. And she taught me how to hustle and she taught me how to grind. And, um, you know, when I started visiting Korea more often, she started to realize that I was in the tabloids out there and I was in the, um, I was on neighbor and I'd be trending, not necessarily for good reasons. You know what I mean? <laughs> for, for getting, for getting in fights and shit and doing stupid things and fighting with like a 19 year old girl. He's like, what the fuck? But my mom started to realize, Hey man, you know, um, I want to go back to Korea and, and I, I, I'd like to go back and, 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 you know, and, and, and do it, but I want to do it the right way. And meanwhile, I'm like, man, mom, you well, couldn't you know, hit me the, at a better the thing is, our mom has only gone back a few times and it was the first time she went back even after even though she'd been divorced from my dad for like 10 or 15 years she was interviewed by like the KCIA she was detained for for 24 hours over 24 hours like uh, that's one of the reasons why if you can believe this I have never been to South Korea I have been to North Korea I went to North Korea I'm trying to think how many times, like once or twice, no, two or three times. Because of that, I've never been to South Korea. Every other kid, I mean, I don't know if you guys know about that new movie, that, that it's not a new movie, but the movie about the kids going to the Korean camp and learning Korean. We never, I never did that. We didn't have that in our family because we, because of my father's trips to North Korea, they would never send me. To North to South Korea because God forbid I would go missing or who knows I'd be used. I think there was a worry. So that and also the fact that my parents didn't they did want us to kind of learn Korean, but they didn't really ever want us to have an accent, so they never spoke to us in Korean. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, do you both of you you speak a little? I'm sure. Very. I mean, I, I mean Ben yeah. probably almost now more than me because I did not. You know, I I have to be, I'm going to be embarrassed to say this, but um, when I was much younger, and as Ben said, we grew up in a fairly Asian neighborhood in Monterey Park. And I will never forget, 
<clears throat> a girl who moved from Japan who was new and everybody thought was very cool. I will never forget one day her coming up to me and saying, oh, you know what? My mom says I can't be friends with you because you're Korean. Because Koreans are considered lower than dogs in Japan. And I remember thinking, are you, are you kidding me? And I asked my parents about it. And, you know, I knew my grandmother spoke Japanese and they said to me, well, you know, this is kind of how I learned about Korean history. And they said, oh, Korean, you know, the reason grandma speaks Japanese is that you would be beaten if you spoke Korean. Mm -hmm. And, um, Maybe, I don't know, it, it was, I think my parents had a little bit of shame. Like, you know what, we want you to speak Korean. And even though you go to Korean church, you know, there was really not a huge emphasis on learning Korean, except, I mean, food, food terms or names of food. And so we, and as much as we were very Korean culturally, we were not, I mean, I, don't, don't you think, Ben, like we really were not. There wasn't a big, you know, even though you had a father who was teaching Korean American studies. And, you I know, mean, to a certain extent, yes. But at the same time, like I had to still go to I still had to learn Korean. I still had to go to my school was different than yours on Sunday. I mean, you know, we're at Young Knock. I had to I still had to do that to a certain extent. And um, I don't know. I didn't even know that's crazy. Jan. I know that I wish someone would have told me that in, in elementary school and said that I can't be with you. I'd have knocked them out. Well, of course you would have. I, I, I mean, look, how many times did we get into fights and like. You know, we weren't like the good kids all the time. I mean, my older brother was, he was always Mr. Perfect, grade A, you know, straight A's. But Ben and I, I mean, I didn't get into tons of trouble, but Ben definitely did. And, you know, uh, look, I think that to a certain extent, the pressures of friends of mine who've been the perfect kids, they're the ones now who are imploding in their 50s mm -hmm. because they never kind of got all that that, you know, angst out. And I mean, the fact is, is that I've said this several times that I'd like to hope that a lot of Koreans will start working towards not just being cultural icons, but also helping with mental health, because I think the mental health oh, yeah. issues, watching that, listening to that TikTok really broke my heart and hearing my girls think, wow, this is so terrible. I, mean, I look, thought we grew up with that every day. Like that's just yeah. the way you live as a Korean kid, you know? The thing is, this, the suicide rate in Korea is insane, you know, it, especially with the celebrities and everything else, because you become famous, they tie down, you know, it's, it's your, your relatives get into gambling problems and whatever, and then they ask you for money, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on in Korea. I, I can't imagine what, what, what stress my parents went through, you know, and, and, and um, we, we just, my mental health is definitely, it's, uh, it's, it's on edge. It's been on edge for a little while, especially with three kids, you know. Um, there's no, the but, social pressures that I think Koreans put on themselves. That's probably why yeah, Koreans. Definitely. That is the, that is exactly it. My wife said to me, she goes, God damn, man, you put so much pressure on yourself. You just can't fucking just really, I can't. And she's like, you put way too much pressure on yourself. And I, I, I wish there was an exercise I could do to, 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 to stop that. But it's true. I can't just sit in a room and relax. I just can't. I just, I don't know. I don't think we have that in our DNA. And I read recently something about, um, Hun, and the fact that there's yeah. this just burning yes. fire that is genetic in, I don't know if it's from the wars or if the wars then that have instilled that sort of drive to constantly succeed. That is definitely mm -hmm. something that is so huge in who my brother and I are. I mean, we just, I, I'd like, like I said, you, if somebody asked you for a 12 hour day, we would do 20, you know, it's just, we can't help it. And, and I don't know if it's, specifically Korean or specific to us, but I feel like um, 
if somebody were to show up with the coolest sneakers, you can best bet that my brother and I would work harder to get an even cooler pair of sneakers and two of them. <laughs> Jean, were your parents um, disappointed that you didn't go on to law school and that pursue that sort of professional career? The thing is, is I only went to law because I was going to go into politics. And um, I knew that uh, most of the people who were state representatives or senators were people who had had initially a career in law, but I hated law. And I, I really found it incredibly dry and boring. And between you and I, Hollywood is, is Washington, D.C. with prettier people, so to speak. So, you know, <clears throat> my older brother said, why don't you, instead of doing what mom and dad want you to do, why don't you consider going into something that you actually like doing? So that's kind of, it drew me to magazines and then magazines drew me to to styling and fashion. And, um, you know. Was there pushback when you did that? I don't think, I think they both were so distracted in each of their careers that they both did not really, I, I, you know, look, they wanted my older brother to become a pastor or, you know, a doctor. He definitely did not do that. They knew ultimately that what we were going to go do? through. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. What does your, your older brother, brother do, do now? Yeah. He is, um, I mean, he's done so many different things, but generally is now a, uh, you know, uh, homemaker. I mean, he takes care of his, his kids and, he has gone a totally different path. I mean, instead of being the Berkeley, you know, perfect SAT Mensa guy, I think he just went the different way. And he was a stockbroker for a while during the, during that real Wall Street era. I think he did all the different things that he was supposed to do. But ultimately, you know, kind of like my brother and I, Ben and I, we're both trying to be happy now. Yeah, yeah. So all three of you went in a different way from maybe what your parents had expected. Oh, yeah. Beyond. I probably went the furthest opposite. How does it feel to somehow represent Koreans in your respective fields? Um, I know there's a lot of um, curiosity and emphasis put on race right now and representation. And uh, even though... Uh, You've gone an atypical route that is not incredibly, uh, you know, the typical Korean route, um, because you're you've done it in your own individual ways. Um, I, I just wondered how does it feel being the atypical and maybe the the way that uh, parents and other Koreans may not have embraced um, your path, but now you're seen as people who can um, maybe speak for the community. Simply, I really don't think about it. I really try not to. Um, the more I think about it, the the more pressure I already have on my already added stress, you know, like that, that I, the, the pressure I put on myself. Um, you know, when someone like Neck Shark or I don't know, you know, um, whether it be, uh, it was Corey Yam, I think they're now Character Media Group or any kind of Asian blog or, or magazine or media group asked me for an opinion. You know, I'm not necessarily careful. I'm always going to be me. Now is the time where it's like, wow, man, hey, speak up, you know, and say this. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot going on. There's racial tension. There's, there's civil unjust and unrest and other things. You know, it's tough for me because I grew up mostly around African-Americans, you know, uh, uh, around black people. Um, with that said, how I represent myself now, for instance, I've been doing collaborations with the, you know, the legendary biggest contemporary artist in the world, Takashi Murakami. And me and Murakami have done five, six collaborations now. 
And every so often, I'll get the hardcore Korean fans back. How the fuck could you work with that guy? He's Japanese. And I was like, man, shut the fuck up. We will never break this shit if we can't unify and come together. And he doesn't treat me in any certain way. And this is a guy who people fear in Japan. And um, I just try to try to break all that if we can. You know what I mean? I work with everyone, you know, unless it's like Donald Trump, you know. But like I, 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 I try to just um, I try to be me, man, honestly. And Look, with you that know, being the thing said, is, is I, that yeah. even though I had that incident happen to me, I think if anything, what it did was it did not give me any disdain for another culture. It made me this is so Korean of us to actually be self-sabotaging and think something was wrong with me and it's going to make me push to be better as a person. It would never be an outward sort of hatred towards anything. And I think Ben is right. I mean, my parents were very, um, you know, we were all about accepting anything and everything. And in terms of representing other other Koreans and not like I'm trying to pull other people up, I kind of tried to do everything in terms of my mentorship with pulling everybody up. Being that, you know, when you go to boarding school, I was the only, I probably, no, that's not true. There was quite a few Koreans that were there because of course, higher education, there's always going to be Koreans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that it's great for me to see Ben in a situation where it's an unconventional sort of, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had kids say to us, say to me, Ben represents us. It's so nice to see somebody like representation does matter. It took a while for me to embrace the, my, my Korean heritage in the full, full, full spectrum of it. Um, but uh, I can't articulate it the, the exact way. And so, it sounds bad in a way, but I've always been in an integrated type of, environment. Do you know, I've always been, you know, just with different cultures and stuff. And, and I've always been fascinated with that. I would feel weird if it was only like six, six Asian guys. And we're in the, I don't know. It just not feel weird, but I'm saying like, it's just, my life is more diverse than that. Well, Ben, just tell us what you're up to now. I mean, you're not able to fly and do all these things that you normally be doing. So what have you been up to? What do you have coming up? Okay. Real, real quick. So this is the crazy part in the, in the world I'm in, in hip hop, 25, you're kind of like an old man. 28, like forget about it. 30, like, yo, you're washed up. You know, 30, you're like, you're considered like a senior citizen. 40, for really get about it. Um, every year after my 40th, I have become more relevant and I've developed a brand. I, I, I in fact, I trademarked Ben Ball did the chain. Um, I've created, uh, you know, different like semi-luxury household items, whether it be a gold, uh, uh, vacuum sealer, a gold money counter. I have a gold a kilogram scale coming out, all things that are kind of like straight, you know, related to the streets and stuff. And, um, you know, I do jewelry, I do certain things. And, uh, around 2017, I made a, um, or a request. I said, Hey man, uh, a custom job is a hundred grand. Now you have to pay 60, 70% down. It's non-refundable. And then, um, um, we'll get it going that right there. When I did that, I said, let's see what it, you know, what, what's that like? Uh, I got 21 bookings. So that's 21 months in advance. So I refunded 95% of all the money. I said, fuck this. I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm be depressed. So I changed it in 2019 to $250,000, a custom job minimum, a hundred percent down. And that booked me till April, 2021. So I currently am still booked till to April, 2021. After I finished April, 2021, there is a good chance that I might really slowly walk away from jewelry. Um, I have never been this busy in my entire life. Like I said, I went from doing 122 flights in 2019 to where in the pandemic and in this crazy time, I am a co-teacher 
um, you know, I'm assistant teacher doing Zoom classes with my kids and three kids and doing that and being at home and making sure I have a special kind of special needs child. My oldest son is very highly allergic. He has a very severe respiratory illness. So this virus attacks him directly. This is specifically meant for him. He has spent 60% of his life living in a hospital. He's been in ICU twice. He's been on respirators. I can't even even put that, you know, anywhere near that. So with that said, it's crippled me from trying to even do the small outside business things, even though I'm wearing an N95 mask, I am prepared. You don't know anybody. There's hospitals that don't have, we have a respirator here. You know what I mean? Like I have everything you could think of. With that said, I started a, a new endorsement deal with uh, Tops. It's a baseball card company. And they've been around for almost 70 years. And they created this new thing where artists designed 20 of the greatest iconic baseball players in history. I've sold now a 250,000 baseball cards with my name on it. And with that, with my royalties, that's my kids' college funds and everything else and whatever. So I've just been hustling. I have um, another, I had, I, had a class, I had a world tour this year, Hong Kong, Seoul, New York, and Tokyo with Murakami. We were going to do five pieces of collaboration at his galleries. And um, that got obviously canceled. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, I have a podcast now. I am in the top 40 every single week. It is a enormous deal that uh, I have a professional podcast. In a perfect world, I would love to stop making jewelry on my 50th birthday and be done with it. Maybe, and I saw this sounds crazy because my cousin just like not trying to hear it. He really isn't. But there's multi-millions of dollars that I have in equity in the company. I would just, here dude, take it. I, I don't want nothing to do with it. No, no offense, nothing wrong, nothing. I'm just, uh, it, it's, I, I can't anymore because my job becomes 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 1 a.m., 6 a.m., 4. There's somewhere in the world someone wants me to bug me about something and I'm just, I'm over it. So with that said, I'd like to have my brand partnerships that I have. I want to kind of slow down the partnerships after 50 as well. And I think I want to podcast until, who knows, 60, 65. And, and that's where I'm fully independent now. I haven't signed any deals. That's where I think that would carry me on to Cause I, I want, I just, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with my kids and I, and I want to be a dad. I love this. Um, I think it's great advice to know where you are and what you need and, uh, um, just to be able to walk away and do that. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got to go guys. All right, All right guys. Bye, ben. Bye. Thank you guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Right, bye. So Jean, why don't you answer that? Really? It's the last question. Tell us a little bit about what you will be trying to work on during this time or maybe a couple things about what you would had planning to be doing these past few months that got canceled last year i realized it was the first time in maybe five or six years i had two weekends off in a row i think i did 75 days without a day off so when this happened and i have daughters leaving for college it has been probably the most amazing gift that I could ever receive to have this time to spend with my kids. And it has given me an incredible chance to, to reassess a lot of what's gone on with my life. And the fact that I know I am a, a restless workaholic and it has been, I mean, look, I, I was in the middle of a remodel. So I went in <clears throat> at the beginning of this, uh, going, I started going crazy. I was literally losing my mind that I did not have 20 balls in the air that I was juggling. So to be able to then spend the time with my daughters, to 
have a chance to have dinner with them every night to go in and I know this sounds so ridiculous, but to go and organize things in the house and to have those moments of calm has really given me a reassessment. It's funny how life teaches you this sort of um, go and spend, you know, savor those moments and then not to have those opportunities has given me a great deal of pause. And um, ironically, you know, and as much as I've really truly enjoyed and I still think I will be continuing to work with the people I work with, there's a sort of reassessment of politics, of, of working towards maybe creating some sort of initiative that teaches people parenting, um, there is a sadness on my part, you know, going through and seeing what's happening in the world right now, especially in the United States, feeling as though this is my adopted country. And yet to see how things could fall apart so quickly in terms of what's happening, I do feel a real serious, strong urge and calling towards not working towards the superficial, but towards something a little bit more significant, at least in terms of mental health or in terms of the political situation. So there's a part of me that feels as though maybe I need to go back towards taking advantage of my ability with which to speak to people and either do production, produce, or go into politics because I feel as though I chose a path that was very financially lucrative or um, good for me in terms of yes, it, it gives me lots of followers on Instagram or it gives me notoriety, but I shouldn't be so selfish and I should do something. And I think a lot of people, this is the reset that um, that this pandemic has done. It's maybe working towards helping other people. And so that's kind of what these last four or five months have done for me. In fact, I was talking to John Cho about this. Representation matters. And I know that at my daughter's girl's school, I said, I think it's really great that we have these young women working towards STEM. But if legislation makes it so that women only get 70 cents on the dollar, does it really matter that there's no laws that, that, that require that women are paid as equally or you know, recently speaking out about the racism that's that so many Asian Americans have suffered. Um, if there's no legislation stopping what happens, or if you have a government right now that has incited a great deal of racial animosity, then it doesn't matter what we do in terms of of selling a product or creating a brand, we need to do more than that. And we need to see more Asians in political positions such that we can make sure that we ensure the positions that we attain are, are kept that way. Or um, So that is kind of what I'm going through right now, honestly, is like a real sort of, uh, I don't know if it's moral reckoning or a sort of midlife crisis about wanting to do something even bigger. Well, that ends on a very inspiring note for all of us. Thank you so much, Jean. Thank you. Thank you for listening to K-Pod. I'm your co-host, Juliana Sohn, and you can follow me on Instagram at Juliana underscore Sohn. Co-host Catherine Hong is at Catherine Hong 100. You can follow Jean Yang on Instagram at Jean Yang Style and Ben Baller on Instagram at Ben Baller. Please follow K-Pod on Instagram at kpodpod.
Our editor is AJ Valente. Our producer is Jessica Parr, and our executive producer is H.J. Lee.